It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Thank you for joining me. This is Charlie Potter, your host here on the Great Outdoors Show on WGN Radio, the outdoor voice of Chicago and America. And this morning, I have a very special guest who we've had on from time to time over the years, Chris Dorsey, who this morning is talking to us as a writer from Forbes, who's written extensively on the outdoor issues and economic issues in Forbes magazine for, for many, many years. And last week, uh, Chris Dorsey wrote a quite an intriguing article about, well, he's been writing about the NRA and what's happening with Lane LaPierre and also where all of this goes in the future of conservation. So, Chris, thank you for joining me this morning and for taking time to be on the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie, great to be here and a lot to, lot to unpack this morning. <laughs> so let's we use it. You and I usually talk about ballot initiatives and all those kind of things, which is actually at the end of the day, very relevant to the NRA. But let's start off with the National Rifle Association. Wayne LaPierre, its longtime head, announced that he was leaving. And of course, there's national front page news on all of this. Can you give us a bit of background and then where you th- we'll get into a discussion of where the NRA goes from here? And as a top line, Chris, I read recently that they've lost a third of their members in the last 18 months. And obviously that that leads to all kinds of issues, particularly cash flow issues. So the ball is in your court. What do you think? Well, I think it's a it's a huge trial. What's happening right now in New York is the New York Attorney General's office is, has brought this to trial. And and basically it's a series of corruption charges against the NRA, against the NRA leadership, uh, Wayne LaPierre and several of his lieutenants. And uh, so the trial began January 8th. It's expected to go at least six weeks sounds like it might be a little bit longer than that, given the number of, of people testifying. But essentially, the story broke back in 2019 when Ali North, who was then president of, of the NRA, tried to remove Wayne, tried to get him to resign, I think with a bit of a golden parachute at that point, just to, to sort of go away because there was a lot of leakage of, of information about corruption charges within the the, the brass of the NRA, Wayne would have none of it, and instead ousted Ollie North, which uh, then began a, a, a kind of a cycle of of investigations and reports and, and all sorts of uh, people coming out of the woodwork to volunteer information on what they knew. And so it's really been a tangled web and a, and a hell of a mess for the NRA. And I say that as somebody in full disclosure who's been a life member of the NRA for a long time. And, uh, and and I think it's an organization, if you believe in the outdoors and conservation of the Second Amendment, you you want a strong NRA, you want one functioning at a high level, you want people that are buttoned up at the top of that organization. And I, I fear at this point we're, we're seeing the unraveling, at the very least, of, of this administration of, of leaders at the NRA. And what, what happens down the road is, is going to be largely, I think, determined by the courts. So... The National Rifle Association, one of the most venerable organizations in America for well over 100 years. Um, where, 
Where does this power come from when you think about the NRA in the terms of how effective it's been in, in, in recent elections, well, going back a long way, in trying to ensure that people who are elected to public office at a federal and state level share the views of, of outdoorsmen and women in America and gun rights, Second Amendment advocates, with the NRA's position today, how effective can they be in the coming general election cycle? Well, I, I think all you have to do is look back. In the last election cycle, they didn't spend uh, nearly what they'd spent previously. They weren't nearly as effective. And at the end of the day, Wayne LaPierre couldn't do an interview because all he would be asked about is, is his own corruption charges. So he's been he's effectively been neutered as somebody who could, could even do the job for quite some time. And I think the question that most people are asking is, is where was the board? Where was the NRA board when all this was going down? And uh, and as you dig into what happened at the NRA, and you, you did have several whistleblower board members who are now testifying in court um, that they, they tried to do things, they tried to get clarity, they tried to get, uh, you know, just the, the basic information of accountability that should have been coming from the, the staff as well as the top leadership on the board level. And they, they couldn't get it and they were ousted. And, and so it was quite a quite a collection of people that were sycophants of, of Wayne LaPierre, basically, and, and he orchestrated through other people and, and uh, through his own measures uh, or that basically would, would say yes to him at, at every turn and not question expenses. Uh, great staff people were run off that organization. Uh, people like Chris Cox, who, who most people saw in the industry as the heir apparent, a very solid guy, great reputation, somebody who'd done a terrific job running ILA, the legislative arm of the NRA, for a long time. And, uh, and yet when all this went down, he was, he was run off uh, uh, by Wayne and his henchmen. And, and, uh, and again, for, for nothing that uh, anybody could see that made any sense. So it, it's been a really chaotic, frankly, a disastrous uh, couple of years for the NRA, and, and they haven't been effective at all. And so that's the problem. We've, you know, we, we need a very effective NRA, if you believe in the Second Amendment, sooner than later. And uh, until this mess is cleaned up and, and the brand is rehabilitated, if, if it can be, uh, we're not going to have that. So let me ask you, boards, conservation boards, not-for-profit boards, you and I both know many people who served on the NRA board, uh, great business leaders, wonderful individuals. How does it how does it come to be? Do you think that a board could have its, its chief executive kind of just run so unshackled, if you will, without any oversight? Is it just that he he was able to to, to Wayne Lapierre was able to bring a group of people around him that that simply bullied their way through? Um, I mean, this is a this is a really a black eye for for board governorship, no matter what the organization. Well, and that's, of course, the allegations coming out of the New York AG's office are just that, that that the board was unwieldy. It's too large. There were too many people on the board. And, and oh, by the way, Wayne LaPierre has been there north of 30 years. That's a, that's a heck of a long time to be doing that job. And and uh, most people, most serious uh, nonprofit uh, experts would say that's far too long to be running a nonprofit. So it's uh, it, it breeds corruption. It, it breeds a sense of familiarity and, and comfort that, that you probably shouldn't have if you've got any kind of fiduciary responsibility or sense of, of, of that. 
And uh, so we'll we'll see. I mean, it's it's interesting to look at Wayne Lapierre and and uh, some of the charges that the AG's office have, have brought against him in terms of you know eleven million dollars for private uh, private jet flights, several of which uh, included his family members, but not Wayne. So he wasn't even on the plane. He simply sent the plane to pick people up in places like Nebraska and made made uh, trips. Uh, I, I think uh, an outside vendor, a television producer out of Hollywood. Um, build something like $135 million, according to the AG's office, and just happened to have yachts and and uh, took Wayne on trips in, in the Bahamas and Monaco and, and places like that. So I'm, I'm sure there was a whole lot of work to be done in the Second Amendment in those places. But uh, nevertheless, uh, that's the kind of stuff we're, we're talking about right now. And, and they've spent north of $100 million in member dues just in, in legal defense over the last several years. So you know, again, if, if you're an NRA member, and, and many of them, all you have to do is go to the chat rooms and social media forums, and they're fuming mad. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And and so we're, we're going to find out fairly soon what, what happens here. It's essentially two trials. The first one is a jury trial, which is basically trying to determine the extent of the corruption, if there was corruption. The NRA, of course, is trying to to distance itself now from, from Wayne, to a degree, and, uh, and and saying he acted uh, alone, it sounds like, in several of these charges and, and trying to protect the NRA. The second trial will be a bench trial where they'll determine if the NRA uh, acted appropriately as a nonprofit. Did they, they have the checks and balances? Did they follow the laws associated with a nonprofit? And, and what comes down the road after that, nobody really knows, is the is the IRS, the CID, the criminal division of the IRS going to be involved? Are they involved right now? Uh, a lot of people suspect they are. So where this goes, this this might, even though this has been going on since 2019, this might just be the beginning of, of what's coming. And whether or not there's class action lawsuits for members uh, going after, uh, after previous boards and, and leadership at the NRA to claw back funds, who knows? You know, this, this is just a one heck of a mess. Well, when we come back from the break, what I'd like to ask is who you think picks up the pieces in the conservation community, because we have a huge void. We're visiting with Chris Dorsey, who is a regular contributor to Forbes magazine and is one of the leading authorities, frankly, in outdoor communications uh, in America. We'll be back in just a moment. You listen to Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago in America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors, but nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado's designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2 owns the off-road. You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. 
It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for being with me. We're visiting with Chris Dorsey, who is a longtime contributor to Forbes magazine, and we're talking about the NRA and what this means for the future of conservation in America as they face an absolutely unbelievable set of legal hurdles that that are certainly going to change the organization in a big way. So, Chris, before the break, you were talking about all the legal hurdles that are in front of it and, and frankly, the outrage of what were, were 6 million members now down less, to less than 4 million, and who knows where they go from here. So, assuming the NRA is going to be on the sidelines for the remainder of 2024, and it certainly looks that way with the funding and everything they have going to litigation and trying to figure out how they survive, where does that leave us? They have been the largest political contributor to the cause of conservation, to the cause of the Second Amendment. Um, where does that leave 2024? Does anyone pick up the pieces, or is this just a vacuum that's not going to get filled? What do you think? Well, I think there's several groups that are, are stepping up to do things that, that uh, are certainly helpful. The Shooting Sports Foundation, frankly, has been very very active, much more active than, than previous to the NRA's troubles. And, uh, but, but again, I think that the problem here is the NRA was the tiger, right? It was the, it was the organization with the brand that had teeth. And it wasn't just filing lawsuits. It was their ability to move, you know, the court of public opinion in favor of the second amendment by virtue of, you know, 150 million gun owners in America. And, uh, and, and so, you know, until somebody can step forth and, and kind of assume that mantle, and nobody yet has is is even close to that status of what the NRA once had. I think I think we're going to be marginalized as a category, and I think we've got to step this up quickly. I think the NRA, you know, if if uh, if the courts appoint some kind of a financial monitor, which frankly may not be a bad thing in the short term for the NRA, um, you know, then we'll we'll see what happens relative to constituting a new board, finding somebody from outside. I just spoke with a past NRA president yesterday who thinks that a, a new a new Wayne LaPierre, a new EP, has probably got to come from outside at this point just to get away from any tainted uh, any tainted brand image problems and, and things like that. And who is that person? It's got to be somebody who's a very strong character, somebody who's a great fundraiser, somebody who can rehabilitate the brand that's badly damaged at this point. And and so I think quietly a search is beginning, it sounds like, to to sort of put forth names that might might want to jump into that cauldron. And uh, God bless them if they do. But uh, that's what it's going to take. And, and in the meantime, there's other organizations that are, are litigating, are helping. And, and fortunately, we've got a court that's that's uh, of right mind relative to the, to the Constitution of the Second Amendment. So I think we're, we're okay for now, but politically... You know, again, in the next cycle, I, I don't see the NRA as being relevant. I think gun owners are always relevant because of their numbers and their passion. But in terms of the organization focusing media and attention on that issue, I think it's going to be a challenge. So as we move forward in this year, let's assume the millions and tens of millions of money the NRA would spend. You talked about the National Shooting Sports Foundation and others, but basically it's going to be a different ball game come November because that money won't have been spent. 
When you, uh, and obviously you, you said the cauldron of becoming the next head of the NRA is probably a good word. And I, and I, since I guess anyone can nominate somebody, Chris, at the end of this call, I'll just send a letter to the NRA suggesting that you're the guy. That would be terrific. <laughs> and I thought you were my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I am, but, but, but maybe a fair weather friend. So let's, let's yeah. switch gears just for a second. Let's switch to what do you think the top issues are as you look in a general election uh, for conservation? Are there one or two issues that, and you're in the communications business, one of the best there is in outdoor communications, where would you focus the resources we have when it comes to conservation if we can get any kind of national traction? Yeah, well, look, I, I think uh, habitat work is always critical, but I think education, I think outreach and, and communications are are just such a big element now in, in, a, in the entire conservation story and the narrative right now, because at the end of the day, if we can't understand what are the issues going forward, we're going to make bad public policy. And, uh, and that tends to be what's happening through ballot box biology, which, which we've talked about previously. And, and again, how do we get our, our school systems engaged? You know, you can mandate K through 12 conservation education across the country, but if you don't fund it, if you don't have a curriculum, curriculum, and if you don't have teachers that know what to teach, you know, it, it doesn't do you a lot of good. So we've got to step that up. I think that's a, that's a funding area, uh, that, that's going to be critical for us going forward. Well, thank you for your time as always, and I totally agree with you. It's all about education and communications for the next generation who are going to make the decisions that are going to last a long time. This is with Chris Dorsey, contributor to Forbes. Thank you, Chris. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week in the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter, your host on WGN Radio of the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.